Hello, and welcome to Podularity, the online books programme that brings you authors and books in a pod. My name is George Miller, and my guest on this week's programme is the poet Michael Hoffman. Michael, who is the son of the late German novelist Gert Hoffman, was born in Germany, but has spent much of his life in this country. The experience of trying to work out where one fits, between two cultures and two languages, and of being both a writer and the son of a writer, have left deep impressions on his work as a poet. When I met Michael at his home in North London to talk about his recently published selected poems, I asked him if making the selection had been a difficult process. It felt really easy to me. I did it quite a long time ago and and sent it away and didn't reconsider it. And then I did reconsider it when the, the time for the book got nearer. And I did it all again with a with a small section of old poems to match the section of new poems at the end. I had a section called Old Poems. But um, mysteriously, that either never arrived or was, was never was never transmitted. And so my, my original selection got made. I felt I felt oddly, I want to say ataractic about the, about the whole thing. I mean, oddly in, indifferent to, to, to what happened. I don't, didn't feel at all sort of chagrined about things being missed out. I mean, if, if anything, probably there are, there are too many things in it. Did you in any sense rediscover things you'd, you'd sort of put aside years ago and had, did it lead you to any kind of re-excavation of, of things which had, had made old poems? Well, that was that was my that was the the thing the the, the road not not taken. I mean, that was the, that was this um, this little sequence of things that made it into a poetry poetry introduction. This, the sequence is called um, the series was called in nineteen eighty two, and just some little little newspaper poems, little the really where I began, which were little little four six line sort of funny things. And in a way, you know, in a, it may it may be a marginal pity for. For, for real sort of hardline enthusiasts, because they they do they do map the, the sort of the, the, the very latest and last things I've written. But I I, I had a, I did have this feeling, or the thing that, that made me want to do this book at all was um, reading my the first title poem, "Nights in the Iron Hotel," aloud, and thinking, uh, "Gosh, uh, this is such an old poem, but I I do like it." <laughs> That, that might be a good moment to which to ask you to, to read it. Okay, I'll, I'll, we'll do. This is 1980, so it's easily half a, half a life ago. Nights in the Iron Hotel. Our beds are at a hospital distance. I push them together. Straw matting on the walls produces a Palm Beach effect. Long drinks made with rum in tropical bars. The position of mirror and wardrobe recalls a room I once lived in happily. Our feelings are shorter and faster now. You confess a new infidelity, this time a trombone player, his tender mercies. All night we talk about separating. The radio wakes us with its music. In a sinister way, you call it lulling. We are fascinated by our own anaesthesia, our inability to function. Sex is a luxury, an export of healthy physical economies. The TV stays switched on all the time, dizzying socialist realism for the drunks. A gymnast swings like a hooked fish. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, in, a, in another early poem, The Machine That Cried, you talk about your parents' decision that you should stay in England, which, which brings about, I think you say, the lurch into infancy. 
and Englishness. And I wanted to ask you if there was ever a time where you felt that German might be your natural language of poetic expression or if English has always seemed to be the, the more natural choice. Oh, um, hmm. um, I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, it is, okay, I suppose there are two answers. Once, very briefly, I think when I was 19, when I was in Germany, really, for the first time in, in, in sort of more advanced years, I had, a fe I had the feeling of my German really getting quite good. And I, I did write some poems in German, three or four, which oddly, I don't have them or think about them, but I, I think they're oddly, they seemed more like American poems than, than anything else, any other, any other way I can characterize them. I think in a funny way, the more I get into English, possibly the more I get into both of them. And I'm, I'm, I sometimes think English is, English is, must stand in for all languages. I, I do think there is something phantasmal about this business of, of, of languages. I, I, for a time, I, I thought um, that I only write things that where that where English and German coincide. But then, then I thought, no, I, I don't do that. I, I, I really go into those sort of inaccessible parts of English that actually won't won't translate. Can you say what you mean by places where English and German coincide? Uh, just uh, constructions, constructions that they both have in common. I mean, somebody pointed out to me that this, I mean, a banal phrase, there where the cloth was thickest, um, is a German construction. And I had to have to concede that it is. Things like that. There are sort of oddly mysterious things, like, like there's a, a poem called... Fidelity, which begins at the old Tramontana, and it ends the recording angel miles away. And when that came to be translated into German by um, a novelist and poet Marcel Bayer, he said miles away. But then it came to me the German construction uh, über alle Berge, over all the mountains, meaning far away. And that brought me back to, to Tramontana, mm. uh, where the poem begins. And that you know, I think um, you know the language underwrites us, and 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 sometimes it's, you know, I think if 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 you're if you're sort of there for it, uh, then 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 I don't see why why two languages or three languages shouldn't shouldn't underwrite you. So do you think there's some there's some kind of deep syntactic level of your mind where there are German constructions that somehow permeate at some level? When you when you write English poetry, something like that, yes. I mean, it's all, you know, like like uh, like Krakens or something. I mean, like these sort of monsters. I mean, I think in, it's it's all it's it's a completely dialectic process. I mean, one, I think in a in a more obvious way, I was I was completely contrite when when talking to my my German translator about the amount of of indirection and misleading and as, as the phrase is false friends that you you. That you, you you get in, in my poems, and I I thought really that I'd, I'd I'd overdone it, but it did bring it back to me how much of a motivation for me probably always to write uh, was um, sort of you know that it, it's almost as though it's 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 a, an extended passport application or something like that. It's it's um, it's an attempt to be that's the word is naturalized. I think 
you know, I think probably I failed, I failed to be naturalized. And I think therefore there, there is this German residue about things. And, and I, I am, you know, it's, it's, they're not that many things I, I can, I can point to, but I, it is something I, I, I feel, I feel haunted by. And, and um, I mean, another sort of plainer way of saying this is, is that they, I think for my first, there are, there are no German words at all in my, my, first book and it's it's a, it's a sort of luxury or an indulgence I only allow myself um, after after that by now I'm you know I, I, I you know the, the future looks macaronic to me I mean, it looks it looks like a, you know black a little black and white chessboard of English and German you know it's, it's funny you, you write you write what you want to write but you also write what you get a sense of people being able to read and I, I think I think that's that um, that impressed me or or imposed itself on me possibly too much when I was when I was starting out. Yes, I, I wonder, because I noted the fact that German does occur more in the later poems mm. than in the earlier ones, and I wondered if that was because you had licensed yourself later to do it, or what, what had brought it about, mm. and how you, whether you deliberated especially long and hard before you mm. quoted a German, or used a German phrase, or whether mm. it, it just, it, it mm. sprang up and was sort of ineluctable. Mm. Uh, it yes, it. I mean, it, it did spring up. I can't remember what what the word would be, but I mean, wherever in my in my processes I come to something that can only be really, I think, only be said in in German, then I will will say it in German. I mean, it's a word like "Dutzfreunde," uh, um, these intimate friends. Everybody is everybody in Bavaria being described as "Dutzfreunde" or Franz Josef Strauss, the ex-Bavarian premier. Then I will say say "Dutzfreunde." It doesn't make any sense to. To translate it or, or to explain what it what it means, mm. and there there are there are things like that. Um, the, the one word that sticks in my mind is Alteingesessen. Thank you. In the, the in the last mm. walk, maybe maybe you could read that poem, and then sure. then we could g- go back perhaps to to talk about the the role that your father plays in your poetry, because that that sort of comes towards the end of 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 that um, story, as it were. Sure. Last walk. The two of you, thirty-seven years married, and only to one another, I should add, some odd stone or metal for that, or metal, arm in arm, old, stable, your new trick, except at your age you don't learn new tricks, more as if all your lives you'd understudied age and stability. Me buzzing round you like an electron, first one side, then the other, the long walk by the concrete-bedded river, the Sempt, whose tributaries arrive in pipes. The heavy July whiff of river and linden. Low water, weeds, a few fish. The ducks beside themselves at nightfall. The unfailingly noisy dog and cherished for it. The last remaining farm in the new suburb, Alteingesessen. A hayfield among garden plots. All the way up to the quarry pool, the gigantic activity of the new airport, racing day and night to completion like a new book, and somewhere in it all, your tenderness for a firefly. I mean, the, the little metal, metal, um, is, is a sort of little German <laughs> misprision. I mean, it's sort of how my, uh, my parents would probably say metal or metal. I mean, it's, you know, it's something you only confuse if you metal. <laughs> Can you say something about that German word? Because it seems to me to have a particular density and also to... To refer back to to things about your parents, 
and and their marriage. I mean, is that is that reading something appropriate or inappropriate? Yeah, no, I, I hadn't thought about it, but I mean, the way it sits in the poem and it's in its italic Alteingesessen it, itself is this this is this holdout. I mean, this the last remaining farm in the new suburb uh, is this this word the hayfield among garden plots. Alteingesessen literally is old, old having been sat in, old, long established, long occupied. I hadn't. I hadn't thought of it through, you know, as, as sort of uh, as um, echoing or tentacular throughout the poem, but I su- I suppose it it is that you know I'm talking about duration and and not changing for a form of um, undeflectingness, and that's and that happens perhaps in that happens in that in that word, altangesessen. Again, I only I would I did only, I mean I don't. It's it's sort of the opposite of, of showing off. I would like to think, which is that I only I only do it when when uh, when driven to it. When the word, you know, in in my own binary currents, um, I, I will only the word only comes. The word only exists in German. Oh. And I, I, you know, I think had I had another life, I I, I do think with my my father, the, the writer, I do think I would have I would have written and I. I like to think I would have written in German, which is a language I've become very fond of, really, in, in these in these many years of not having been allowed or not having allowed myself to write in it. I, I, I did. I got to like it quite a lot. Can you say something about the part your father plays in your work? Because he is a constant presence, and it seemed to me a point of reference. And I wondered even if his if his being a German writer contributed to your wanting to be an English writer or feeling that being an English writer was the road that was open to you because it seems to me that there's a lot of defining of yourself against what he is and measuring yourself and charting his evolution and progress as a as a human being and as a writer alongside your own. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. I mean, I I mean, my my kind of my flippant way of of, of seeing it is is how these two these two men sort of kind of meet meet up to divide the world between them, and, and this is this is this is this is how it goes. My father gets prose in German, and I get I get poetry in English, and we each go away feeling happy. The funny thing about us, maybe my father was always going to. Was always going to write and, and wrote plays before before I was born, but his his first book, his first prose book, his first his first novella, Die Denunciation, the Denunciation, which I to which I make a reference in, in a poem, that came out in 1979, which is the year my first poems were were published. So we're not only uh, father and son, but we're also coevals. In a, in a way, which which gives us sort of even more of our peculiarity. So we're we're sort of we're we're healthfully separated by by the difference of of languages, but then but then kind of agonizingly brought closer again by by being by producing books at the same time. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's it's funny not being not being born or not growing into a, a sort of great backlist of one's fathers, but I I, I wasn't, and as I say, they they did. Did begin in, in 1979, and then he wrote 
he wrote a, a book a year and, and, until he died. And in your work, that relationship is foregrounded. But f- from his point of view, how did how did he react to having a, a son and writer and coeval? I think I think variously. I mean, I guess I would I would say sort of backgrounded or swept under the table. But I, I think I think he has. I think there are there are books of his where he has the anxieties about about younger younger people about an, another other generations and so on. And, and I, I think I, I stand in for a lot of that for him. I mean, the first when I first began to translate him, which is a, a sort of further complicating factor. The first thing I translated of his in about in, in the very early eighties was the the story of. Jakob Michael Reinhold Lenz and his father, called the return of J.M.R. Lenz to Riga, and and the the older Lenz pair is is has just been made the bishop of Riga, and and Lenz himself is is this little blonde hippie sort of wasteful road child of a of a Sturm und Drang poet. I think probably my my father and I sort of competed for the for the son role. All our, all our lives, and so seeing, you know, when when he wrote this story about Lenz the poet, going back to his his grandfather, the, his, his reverence, the bishop, who is who just steadfastly ignores him. I thought I, something in me must have thought I I can't let my father to get away with this role. I have to take it in some way, and so I, I wanted to, to translate it. I think we also we also both played with these things anyway. I, th- I think it wasn't it wasn't really even a even a it wasn't even really a, a mock i mean it was a sort of double mock game or or enactment of, of um, strife i think that's what it was would you like to read one of your poems about your father now I'd, yeah open it open it anywhere um well i'll read one called marvin gay which is is um uh, what i mean by 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 mock mock i mean it's um i wrote a poem about Parasite called Dad, and then I then this sort of matching poem about a filicide called Gay. He added the final E to counteract the imputation of homosexuality. His father was plain Reverend Gay, his son Marvin III. He slept with his first hooker in the army coming off Saltpeter. He thought there was another word for virgin that wasn't eunuch. Including duets, he had 55 chart entries. His life followed the rhythm of albums and tours. He had a couple of periods of longevity with a woman. He preached sex to the cream suits, the halter tops, and the drug-induced personality disorders. When his hair receded, he grew a woolly hat and beard. Success was the mother of eccentricity and withdrawal. In Ostend, he felt the eyes of the Belgians on him. In Topanga, someone cut the throats of his two Great Danes. At 44, back in his parents' house, any one of a number of Marvins might come downstairs. A dog collar shot a purple dressing gown twice. Besides charting the relationship between two writers, you also write about your father's later years and ill health and decline. And I think those are very moving poems because early earlier he seems to be a sort of expression of strength and appetite and mm. noise mm. and creativity and you see that 
begin to mm. be sort of detracted from by mm. by illness. Mm. Mm. And I wondered if you could say a bit about mm. how you how that how the depiction evolved as as he himself grew older. Mm. Well, he was, you know, he was um, formerly indestructible. I mean, I did grow up believing in his indestructibility, and I would I would say sort of testing his indestructibility. I mean, when I wrote the poem about provoking him and him chasing me around the table and then breaking his arm, I think I was I was testing his indestructibility. He hadn't. He was himself illegitimate, but also sort of sort of unfathomably mysteriously illegitimate. So we had absolutely no idea of of uh, who my grandfather might be and, and no no clues or hints. So so which always took to my mind made you know made it seem as though my father was Hermes or Apollo or something like that. It's you know the the, the sort of the the very crude simple simple thing is, is to say that that um from that girls learn about sex and love from their mothers and and what a boy has to learn from his father is how to die and then and so at at, at a certain point i was i was I mean, to begin, when I first wrote these poems, which always had a sort of slightly retrospective tendency, so I would write them in my mid-twenties and I'd be thinking of, sometimes of, of my mid-twenties, but uh, sometimes of, of um, four or five years back, there was always this this uh, completely, you know, my, my word, ungovernable, rather volcanic temperament, and under which I, I sort of proudly suffered, let's say. And then when, when that, you know, as that, as that began to, to give way, I suppose I, I then noted and, and wrote about what there was in, in, instead. So that the, the, the man, the, the, the shadow, the shadow of the man is always prophetic, uh, but it came to, it prophesied different things. And there was, there was, there was, um, you know, what latterly my, my father, Prophesied was um, was uh, de- determination while crumbling, something like that, and uh, I see that as you know as the last of his many many gifts to me, seeing how you how you how you wear those. Would you like to read the poem um, about after his death, where you write about his room and sure. the windows? And- yeah, sure. As the, the poem's called Forget Hoffman, died 1st of July, 1993. I wrote the poem almost sort of live, um, so to speak, um, a week later in, in his in his room, kind of setting myself, I'm not quite sure if setting myself or, or very quickly seeing that I was writing what I've always termed a, a, a Chinese poem. Forget Hoffman, died 1st of July, 1993. The window atilt, the blinds at half-mast, the straw star not swinging in the draught, and my father, for once not at his post, not in the penumbra, frowning up from his manuscript at the world. Water comes running to the kitchen to separate the lettuce for supper from the green flies who lived there. The sill clock ticks from its quartz heart. The everlasting radio has its antenna bent where it pinked his eye once. Ink, tincture of bees, 
the chair for him, the chair for my mother, the white waste paper basket, empty and abraded by so much balled up paper, nosebleeds and peach bits. The same books as for years, the only additions by himself, an African mask over the door to keep out evil spirits, a 17th century genre scene, the children, little adults, varnished almost to blackness. Outside, the one-time pond packed with nettles, the cut-down we stand of bamboo, the berries on the mountain ash already orange and reddening, although the inscrutable blackbirds will scorn them months more. I think what I mean about it being Chinese, I mean, I notice that it has inscrutable in it and it has bamboo in it, uh, which is sort of a couple of bizarre uh, notes, is that it's it's um, it's the, the description of an altered world in the same way that, that in, in, a, in a Chinese poem from Whaley or Pound, things happen and they are addressed directly, but they are also addressed indirectly. And so you get... In the river merchant's wife, you get the the mosses growing on the stairs too deep to clear them away, and and so on, and and uh, that's always seemed to me a, a, a lovely and, and kind of natural way of doing things. It also introduces another theme that I wanted to talk to you about, yeah. which is your evocation of interior space, roomscapes. Yeah. It seems to me you are a master at evoking mental states by evoking the spaces in which human life has taken place. And in the collection, there are a lot of rooms evoked, which either someone has departed from, or which you are about to forsake. And in the air of that space is, you know, the, the hopes that you came to them with, or the disappointments that you suffered, or the, 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 the experiences mm. that you lived. Mm. You say, all things tend towards the yellow of unlove. And it seemed to me a lot of your interiors are sort of tinged with that yellow and those stains and those frayed carpets. I mean, is that, does that ring true? Um, absolutely. I mean, George Sertes told me years and years ago that he, all my poems took place in, in cars or, or rooms, and, and uh, cars are only mobile rooms. Um, there's the, there's the, the, the elliot line in the room, the women come and go, talking Michelangelo, but um, the overlooked part of the line is, is in the room. I think probably I've always had a, I mean, as, as, as having grown up in a lot of different places and, and usually in rooms, I think I've always had an, an, a sort of eye for it. I mean, we never, we never owned anywhere. We never lived anywhere. When my father died, they were, they were, they were tenants. So the, the room, I mean, the room is, is one's exoskeleton. I mean, and it's where it, where one hangs one's one's trophies or or displays one's wounds. I suppose. I think it's you know. I think also again, Tom Paulin has a has a has a poem or a line about um, a young man wakes up in a in a room full of objects that reflect him, or something like that, which is is a little bit the same, the same type of type of thought. I mean, your your room is where you is where you you go back to become yourself. You're right about about. Um, Leaving them, I, I, perhaps these these rooms are places I leave in order to become someone else, or, or in in, in a failed attempt to become someone else, or something like that. Maybe I could ask you to mm. read a poem about someone else having departed. One of your new poems, Motet. Sure. 
are permitted. It's naphtha now you're gone. A sudden apprehension of squalor. The unflowering cardamom plant, gummy with syrup and flies. Sour foot smell in the rumpled quilt. A wilted squadron of paper airplanes ready to take me after you. Can I ask you finally what what poetic preoccupations you have at the moment? Um, I'd really, I mean, I, the poem I, I called Motet, I'd really like to collect and write a sequence like, like Montali's motets of, you know, 10, 10 or 20 poems about, of sort of solitude and retrospect, something like that. I think that, that's, that's really, really what I'd like to do. I've long <laughs> waited and, 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 and hoped while writing not very much, uh, for, um, poems of age, uh, where one, one can write things down more quickly and, and with, with more, more, more abandon, more, 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 uh, more, more drastically. And I'm, I, I would like to think I can, I can make a, make a series of, of poems like, like that, of, of, um, sort of rapid hindsight. I was talking to Michael Hoffman, whose selected poems are available from Faber and Faber Now. In the next edition of Podularity, my guest will be Marina Frolova-Walker, and we'll be talking about what gives Russian music its distinctive character. Until then, it only remains for me to thank you for listening, and say goodbye until next time. Goodbye.